You're listening to a podcast from 702. So the question for today really is, are you sending uncles? Are you writing letters? Are you choosing cows? Because it's time for... 702. Masterclass. And on today's Masterclass, we are talking about Lobola. Not in the controversial sense, guys. We just want to get into the depths of what Lobola is all about, where it comes from, what it means, what it means today. So use this opportunity, send through your questions, your comments, and anything you'd like to ask from the host of our masterclass for today, Dr. Trevor Nwani, who is director of the Center for Sociological Research and Practice. Doctor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, and thanks to your listeners. I'm very excited for this conversation because, you know, this this subject can be very sensitive for some people. Well, of course, you know, change is pain. So some things which we did yesterday or yesteryears, you know, when we do it today, we find that the context has changed. So sometimes there is some uncertainty, some confusion, sometimes even abuses. So Lobola is indeed slightly controversial in today's society. So let's go back to where it all began and what the purpose of Lobola was and who it was that was beginning it and practicing it. Because it's not a unique thing in terms of it being African. The concept of dowry is known or bride price or uh, the other terms around the world. Yes, uh, you know, it's found in Europe, it's found in Asia, all over the world, actually. Uh, and the first thing to do is to distinguish, you know, if we look at it more broadly, internationally, is to separate between Lobola, which is the bride prize, which is uh, cows or goods, which are given to the family of the bride, of the woman by the bridegroom's family. And then we've got dowry, uh, where you find that the, the family of the bride gives goods to the family of the bridegroom. So this is a very important distinction. Of course, we, we will focus on Lobola, where we pay you know what you've just called the bride price. But uh, to understand that uh, distinction helps us go to the roots, the economic, historical foundations of this social practice. And so we also understand Lobola or Lobolo or Mahadi in Shonaki Rura or Mahadi in Setswana, Lobolo in Chitonga, and they also call it Mamalo in Chivenda. So there's a lot of names for it. So let's go back to why it came about to begin with. Yeah, so to distinguish between bride price and let's call it bridegroom price when, you know, you, you, you pay for the husband, uh, some, anthrop- some anthropologists found that um, in societies where, because remember, these customs uh, emerged uh, in agricultural societies, mm. agricultural economies, people who are living off the land, you know, planting, plowing, sometimes having cattle, or even hunting and gathering. Uh, 
That was before the industrial revolution, before industrialization, before factories, before capitalism. So in those agricultural societies, it would uh, depend is most of the work on the fields, you know, plowing done by women or men. So where the work was done by women, you tend to have the bride prize because when the woman joins the family of the man, of the bridegroom, in a way, the family of the bride is losing uh, two pairs of hand on the field. Mm. Also, the bridegroom is uh, gaining an extra pair of hands. So that is how we distinguish. Whereas where the men do most of the work, you get the other, uh, you know, dowry where now the, the, the family of the bride pays. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, so where does the part of the, and I'm talking now the rituals, where does that come into play? The part of being able to, because I, I feel a lot of the controversy also comes in, not just when it comes to the amount, but it comes in with uncles wanting extras, family wanting extras. So those rituals, where do they come into play? Yes. So remember, these old uh, uh, societies, you know, they, they were not essentially nuclear families, can you see? So you'd find that in one household, you have the, the father and the mother. Where there is polygamy, you have the father and many mothers, maybe three, four, five. And then you have... Um, brothers and sisters. So in a way, you've got a whole uh, workforce <laughs> in one household. Mm. Can you see? Yeah, yeah. And then also remember, uh, uh, when they, there is marriage, it's also a connection between two separate families. So it's almost to be expected that these two families will also cooperate in other ways, maybe politically or economically. So if there's a drought, they'll help each other. So in a way, when the two people, the couple get married, it's not just between the two of them. Mm. The two households are conjoined, you know, through this uh, marriage. As a result, there's a lot of ceremonies, rituals. That is why, for example, I am Zulu, but I think in all the, you know, nations you've mentioned, you'll find that the man will, the bride, the bride, the bridegroom will pay Lobola, but the bride will give gifts, you know, to the, to the father of the bridegroom, to the brother of the bridegroom, actually to every important member of the family. Mm. So this shows that unit, it's a social bonding of two different families. Hence the elaborate ceremony. Mm. And I mean, again, my understanding is it's such a critical part of in 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 whatever culture is being practiced for it to unite families hence they say you're not just marrying your spouse you're marrying their family yes unfortunately you know because remember you know things changed so we had colonialism so you had uh, europeans coming to africa 
to Latin America. And then when they come in here, they start to impose their will, sometimes imposing their value system and their uh, customs. You know, the French, they had a, a policy called assimilation. Mm. So the French, when they colonized Senegal, all these countries in Africa, they wanted to stamp out uh, African culture and replace it with French culture. So everyone who was colonized by the French had to learn French, had to have a French name, etc., etc. Whereas the British uh, practice what is called indirect rule. So what they would do is they would manipulate uh, our cultures, the cultures of the colonized, to use it so that they can rule, uh, you know, dominate us more. So that is where the confusion, you know, starts to creep in. Mm-mm. And and I'm glad you say that. Um, I'm just curious about the fact that if if today we speak of a mo- modern society where women, many of them are feminists, are saying they want equal rights, and then something like lobola, a cultural practice is taken, where they say, okay, seeing as you want equal rights, why are you also not paying for the man? Yeah, it's a good question, because uh, I was actually building up to the fact that now under, you know, uh, capitalist conditions, you know, remember, we had to go through some really terrible experiences, social arrangements, such as uh, migrant labor. So you find that the men, they leave their families at home, maybe in the Eastern Cape or, you know, Venda or Zululand, and then they come and work in the mines and leave, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the women behind. So also, gradually, also there was this tendency now to move away from the extended family into the nuclear family. Mm. And also the Western idea of romantic love. So here now it's like you fall in love with someone. And when you fall in love with someone, it's only him or her. It can't be anyone else. So those relationships become defined at a personal level and as exclusive. Remember before we had polygamy. In fact, in those other type of societies, you know, where, you know, the men uh, do the, the work, you even had polyandry, mm. where one woman would have made many, many men. Can mm. you see? Mm. Because the family wanted many hands. So, so this is the confusion now. And then you have nuclear family. And then now, you know, things t- start to change. And then, you know, all the customs are brought into question. And then, of course, you know, remember that now, you know, the woman is working, the man is working. So, I mean, I think it's fair to ask if uh, you pay for the woman, you know, why don't you pay for the man? All right, and we will we'll delve deeper into that. We're talking to Dr. Trevor Nguane, Director of the Center for Sociological Research and Practice in our masterclass on Lobola, because it is a Wednesday. And when we come back, we pick up this conversation. 702 Masterclass 22 minutes after 2 o'clock and in our Masterclass today we are talking all things Lobola and we are being hosted on this Masterclass by Dr. Trevor Nguane Director of the Centre for Sociological Research and Practice Doctor, so we were speaking about you know, why the women are not 
the man. Let's talk about um, where we are today, just in terms of what Lobola represents today, and if you think it is being bastardized. Well, uh, you know, because now we are living under capitalism. So capitalism is a system where, you know, a few people own what we call the means of production, factories, mines, you know, banks, and then all of us, we work for them. And then there's something called uh, the law of property. Mm. So, you know, so what happens is that when now we give each other lobola, that lobola usually is not in the form of cattle or goats, you know, but uh, it would be in the form of cash, sometimes in the form of goods, like a car, can you see? So then people start to see the handing over of this cash as some kind of buying in the same way that you buy a pair of shoes or you buy yourself a house. Mm. So there's an element of private property. So this is the problem now, because as you know, if you buy yourself a dress, it's your dress. You can wash it today, you can iron it, or you can forget about it. So there's that feeling that in terms of gender relations, you know, uh, women, because they are paid for, end up being treated like goods by some chauvinistic men. So in a way, Lobola needs some modification, you know, to come on par with the modern situation. Traditionally, the way that it was done is that um, when the when the process starts, and talk us through that from the part where a man decides that he wants to take a woman as his wife. Now, does a man have to first say, uh, guys, I'm, I want to marry your child and then do a letter? Like, how does it actually work in the traditional sense? Yeah, in fact, in the traditional uh, sense, so remember, you know, it differs from culture to culture. It differs also over time. And remember also, even in one place, it changes its character. So this is the most important thing we have to understand. Change is almost uh, permanent, if you know what I'm trying to say. Mm. But uh, let us, you know, give a picture, you know, of how it happened in the old days. And as I said, I'm drawing from my, you know, a rural background in the, you know, in Mutu Zululand. So actually, you know, when we looked at it, you know, especially as children, it was a beautiful process. Remember, because, you know, uh, it it starts with the young man, you know, uh, coaching, you know, Ushela, coaching uh, a beautiful young woman. And in Zululand, it would take you two years, three years, you know, to get that woman to agree. Mm. So it's a whole process. And then when she does agree, then, you know, it depends, you know, how old you are. Because remember, everything was also regimented. So, you know, your father or your family will say, you are now grown up enough to have a a, a bride. Mm. Have you seen anyone? Mm. And you see, and then you say, yes, uh, I've seen Utogo, Ogapim. And then, you know, uh, this thing is discussed. Remember also because it it involves the whole family, they'll also discuss the Bengu family. Is it a good family? Whatever, mm. whatever. Can you see? Yeah. And also, remember also that even uh, the Bengu family, you know, if you do send people to talk and negotiate with them, they'll also look at, you know, your family. 
how many cattle can you afford? So it was a whole intricate, elaborate, and it took time. Can you see? Mm. Yeah. And even the bright, uh, you know, let's call it bright wealth, how many cattle, it was negotiated. Can you see? Mm. And it depends also, is it, you know, a good year for the harvest? So you can't ask for many cattle when everyone is suffering. Mm. So, but uh, all in all, you know, we should also recognize the beauty of it. It's intricacy. Can you see? It's so, so to- talk us through those steps. Purpose. Talk us through those steps and we can use the Zulu culture as the example, even though we under- know and understand that that uh, different cultures have different ways of doing things. So once the family has had this discussion, now a letter needs to be written. Who's writing the letter? Who's delivering it? And where's it going? Well, uh, the letter is a new thing because remember, it was not a a literary uh, 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 culture. But I mean, later there were letters. In any case... So wait, what was it? What was it before? Was it... Did somebody just go as a messenger? Yes. So, so the, the... Okay, so let's say... Uh, the the woman is paying, mm. okay, and and the man is me, Guane, okay. So so we of the Guane family were going to have a meeting. Can you see? Mm. And the meeting will also involve the extended family, and then from among or and even you know the the key neighbors or the people which let's say my father you know works with or trusts. So they will uh, appoint Umkongi, let's say the negotiator. Mm. And then Umkongi is someone who is skilled with words because this whole thing is how you speak. Also someone, you know, who, who, is, who is patient, who is also socially, emotionally wise. So who can test the water, who can retreat when things are bad, mm. who can move forward. So we have Umkongi. And then a day is set, you know, when they're going to send Umkongi to that family. Mm. And even then, you know, they'll find a way of uh, alerting that family, you know, of uh, their intention. So that when they do come, uh, you know, the family is ready. And that family also will call other important members of the family. And as I've said, they might even call the next door neighbor who is perhaps wise in these things. Mm. And then, you know, you go there in the morning uh, and then you stand outside and then you uh, announce yourself, you know, in Zulu will say, Bayete, uh, which means that uh, we are here, mm. you know, and then you can, you call them using their clan names. Can you see? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that I don't know the clan names of being, mm. but let's say they were Mkise. So you'd say Mangej. Can you see mm. if they were stolen? Tobe, Mondise. Okay. And then uh, they will play as if they don't want you to come in. Can uh, you see? And this is yeah. my favorite part of the story. So I'm going to pause it because I love the part of those power dynamics that go back and forth of should we open the gate? Should we not open the gate? So, yes, we'll continue with the masterclass. It's 2 30. 702. Masterclass. So we continue with our masterclass on Lobola. We are speaking to the director of the Center for Sociological Research and Practice, Dr. Trevor Wine. Doctor, you are at the part of the story where now the family's at the gate 
and the family inside is acting like they can't hear a thing. Yes. So remember, this process can happen over one day, over two days, or mm. three days. I've actually know, heard. I've actually heard stories of families that have travelled from far. I'm talking possibly from the DRC, travelling to South Africa, travelling to a village, only to be delayed by a day or two, and they have nowhere to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, you know, you must show your seriousness about our daughter. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because there is that thing also, you know, because people love their daughters, people love their sons, so they want to ensure that, you know, there is social support system and, uh, you know, that person will be treated well, you know, because they are going to basically spend all their lives with that family. Can you see? Yeah. So part of it, you know, is uh, in addition to power dynamics, but it's also a test, you know, and an indication of the kind of problems, you know, one can expect in the future. So, for example, one thing which happens is that after you uh, shout outside, uh, call their name, Bengu, uh, you know, you know, uh, the father of the of the bride might, you know, you might find him sitting, you know, on a tree at the top of a tree. So now you must uh, actually give something to get him down the tree, and then you also have something called imvulamlomo. When you come in, they don't speak to you. They just look at you. So it means you must open their mouths by, uh, you know, maybe a goat or, or money these days mm. in to open their teeth. And also uh, the people, Umkong, uh, uh, he goes with, uh, you know, some key relatives, uh, but also uh, uh, he should be someone we call Igaku. So Igaku is someone who sings well. Mm-hmm. But in this instance, it means someone who speaks well. Because these are oral cultures. So a lot uh, of emphasis, you know, and recognition is placed on how well you speak the language, how well you put things. Remember, in the old days, there was a lot of euphemism. You didn't just call a spade a spade. Mm. You'd go around, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then remember also that the economy is... Uh, the economic situation of these two families are involved. So that is where now you get that power dynamic, that teasing out, you know, how much, how many cattle have you got? How many cattle are you uh, prepared to pay? And there's always that, um, you know, a a little titillating line because, you know, you want them to pay as much as they can pay, but you don't want, as we say in Zulu, to kill them. Mm. And remember also, you know, with the Botswana, you'll find that on the side of the bride, you have Rahadi, you know, the sister of, of, of the father of the bride. So she'll be the one leading the negotiations. So there are many dynamics uh, involved. It's, it's, it's amazing, actually. I'm going to take a quick call from Ronald in Pretoria. Ronald, you've got a question. Go ahead. Yes, I would like to ask uh, the doctor, uh, what happens in the case of, let's say, for instance, I have fallen in love with a, an African lady and we want to take it to the next level. What would be the process? Um, can I listen on the radio, please? Of course you can, Ronald. A doctor, so how does it work across color lines and cultural lines? 
Well, I've had uh, the personal honor of uh, traveling to Bulawayo, you know, uh, with a friend of mine who, you know, I can't name them, uh, but he knows himself, you know, <laughs> a white uh, guy, you know, a comrade. And then I was his umkongi. And I must say, I did a good job, you know, because uh, what I did, I did some research into, uh, because these are Ndebele people. Mm. And then fortunately, the Ndebele, you know, they come from Zululand. But I, I you know, I mean, now I'm an academic. So I looked at, uh, you know, the clan names of Nziligazi. So when we went there, you know, I could call them all the names that they like, the clan name Nziligazi, whatever. And then, uh, you know, uh, you know, because, you know, the, the, the bridegroom must be there. And, you know, we discussed and uh, at that time, my friend, you know, uh, he wasn't short of money. He had a lot of money. Mm. So, you know, it made my job easy. Can you see? Mm. Of course, you know, you don't want to splash the money out because it also spoils the process. So, you know, but uh, in the end, you know, it was easy. Till today, they are married here in South Africa. Mm. They are living in Kensington. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because I, uh, we received the following WhatsApp from XO or Ko, I don't know if that's Olaini in Cape Town, who says, I married a white woman because I do not believe in bride price and nobody will pay me money for the upbringing of my daughter. Bride price is another form of acceptable slave trade and it also gives people a sense of entitlement. Why should any human being pay money for another human being? And before you comment, doctor, let me just say to this person, I think... If, if your words accurately reflect your feelings, I feel for your wife that you only married her because you don't believe in bride price. I would think that you married her because you love her, but you not believing in bride price is a separate issue altogether. Doctor, what are your thoughts on that message? Uh, many people feel that way, actually. It's, 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 it's not new at all. Remember, I told you that uh, these days, you know, people reevaluate customs and then they identify what I can call, you know, the patriarchal aspects, you know, of these uh, customary uh, uh, rituals where, you know, the, 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 the woman is treated like an object and where some men, as I said, would start engaging in abuse, domestic violence. Let's say now uh, you are married. Uh, and then the, the woman or the man have a problem with getting children. And then remember, the whole uh, bride prize was linked to having children. So things get uh, complicated. So the, the thing about modernity is that it gives us choice. Of course, the choice is limited because of money. Mm. You know, because if you're poor, you don't have much choice. But really, that's the part uh, you know, we should focus on, you know, in modern times, that freedom, that ability, that is why we want everyone to have the basics, so they have, a, they, have, they have the platform to choose the kind of life they want to lead. No one must impose on them. So, like uh, the gentleman asked now, you know, he's a white man, but he wants to marry a black woman, and actually, uh, he will feel good to respect the customs, mm. you know, of that particular family. This is what was happening with my friend. And he's not the only one. I also had a friend who married in Swaziland. I was, I was in Umkongi then, but it happened that way. Can you see? So also that cross-cultural finding out 
ways of life, of thinking, which are not maybe the same as, you know, in your own backyard. But certainly there is a debate. Should we continue with Lobola or should we abolish it? Personally, I don't, I don't think that's the way we should phrase it. Maybe we should say, you know, it's not a process of moving from traditional to modern. It's more complicated, more complex, mm. more dialectical. So we must more, you know, consciously choose, select, you know, make choices exactly how we're going to work it out. And I think the challenge, you know, when it comes to affordability is from what I understand today, what will happen in some cases is the woman will say to her husband to be, how much can you afford so I can tip my father? So that when negotiations start, where it's almost like it's a given, we're not going to exceed, let's say, let's call it 20,000. It's just part of a formality, but everybody knows you can only afford 20,000 and eventually they land upon that figure or thereabouts. And I think that that is quite fair to do it that way. I don't know what your thoughts are, doctor, because the worst is where couples find themselves in complete debt. And I say couples because you'll also have the woman maybe taking out a loan to assist her husband in paying her own lobola. Yeah, that happens a lot because uh, remember also in families, you know, not everyone wishes everyone good. So you might find a powerful member of the family. You were suggesting one anki, and then they just overcharge. Mm. And their intention really is to scatter, you know, to spoil the, the show and, you know, and, and make this uh, a negotiation not to succeed. So I think, you know, and also, you know, this whole process, as I said, is also a test uh, of, you know, relationships between the two families, you know, between the couple, you know, the kind of uh, challenges they will face in the future. So in a way, you know, how we handle it and the best way we handle it, you know, is, a, is also a, an indication of how the marriage uh, will pan out. Um, there are a couple of messages that are coming here commenting on Lobola across the color line. My husband from Europe paid Lobola via EFT because he had no uncles here in South Africa to negotiate for him. He got permission telephonically for us to get married. This is from June in Houghton. Another person, um, uh, there's actually a few messages around Islam's. One says, in Islam, dowry is given to the bride from the groom. It belongs to the bride and is completely her own. It is in the form of money or usually jewelry. The minimum amount is a few hundred rands, so marriage is not unaffordable to the underprivileged, while the usual amount ranges from a few thousand rands to even one ounce Kruger Rand, approximately 30,000 Rand today. Dowry in Islam is compulsory and has to be given to the bride when the marriage ceremony takes place, if not before. So a couple of people have been um, um, using that comparison uh, of dowry to Lobola, of which the cultures are very different. There's one person that says, if, if um, you're p- paying a bride price, why is the money not going to the bride? Why must it go to her father or her family? Yeah, so as I explained, you know, we must look at the origins and also look at how things have changed over time. 
And as the Muslim listeners or whoever spoke about the Muslim custom, with the Muslim, it goes directly to the bride, whereas with the Africans, it goes, you know, to the fathers, to the family. And that was because originally, you know, the, the father of uh, the bride is losing a pair of hands, mm. you know, to work in, in, in the fields. Can you see? Whereas with the Muslim, you know, and they tend to be monogamous, the Muslim, uh, the, the dowry is to make sure that, you know, the needs of the bride, of the wife, are taken care of even if the husband were to die. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, and that makes complete sense to me. Um, uh, I'm sure there's a reason, and maybe it's a conversation for another day around dowry and why that amount goes to the bride. Temba in Johannesburg, hi. Hey, so how are you doing, guys? We're good, thank you. Thank you. So, um, to, to the point that you mentioned earlier on, my mother, when I was, I was paying my dowry, she said, no, da- Go speak to her first. Go speak to her and gauge so that you know how much. Mm. But my question is here. How do you choose a, a non-family member to become umko miwako? You know, because uh, they don't know your customs. What do you look at and, and how do you arm him or her to go speak on your behalf? And are you so, saying you. because because you don't have an uncle or somebody in your family, so you need to look outside? Are those the circumstances? It's not always the, uh, the case. I have a friend who's doing it next weekend, and he he he, he had a meeting with a friend who she who, of whom he wants, which I didn't get. He's got family members, but he chose to go with a friend. Mm, I understand what you're saying. Temba, that is a, yeah. a, a, a great, great question. And what we're going to do, we need to take a bit of a break. Doctor is going to come back with the answer. 702 Masterclass. We continued the conversation around Lobola. Now, Doctor, uh, Temba was asking the question as, how do you choose somebody that is not a family member? What is that uh, criteria for your chief negotiator? Yeah, so with my friend who happens to be white, you know, he, he wanted uh, someone close to him who could vouch for him. So I had known him for 20, 30 years. So I could say, you know, with full, you know, uh, honest and confidence, I know this man, Baba, you know, he will take care of your daughter. Can you see? And, uh, you know, remember, we traveled there, so we had to sleep there. So there were times when we just relaxing, talking to the old man and to the family. And I could tell stories which showed and vouched for my friend. And also, uh, remember also that, you know, when when you choose Mkomi, uh, uh, he should actually uh, keep his eye on the ball. So, you know, don't get, uh, because remember, we have to be open-minded. Someone uh, called Eric Hobsbawm, Hobsbawm, a great historian, wrote a book called the invention of tradition. So he shows that in every part of the world, inventions, uh, traditions are reinvented as we go along. So you have to be open-minded. Remember, the whole point is to have, uh, you know, a constructive uh, relationship, a discussion with the family of the bride, where you show your humanity, you show, uh, you convey that love, that willingness 
you know, to have their daughter marry your friend, where you show your willingness to actually invest both uh, financially and spiritually, emotionally. So, so if you keep your eye on the prize, then even if you make some mistakes with procedure, in any case, the family of the bride, they will tell you as you go along how they so-called do things mm. in this house. Mm. And then mm. you can tell your friend, you know, well, we do things this way. Usually, we don't, you, you don't have a lot to say because, you know, in the township, we don't have a lot of rituals. So you just tell them, look, uh, our clan name is this and this. And then you tell him, my father maybe passed away. He mm. came from so, so, so he can tell the story of your friend, you know, the, 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 the prospective bridegroom. Let's quickly go to a voice note. Hi, Lebo Johnny from Pretoria. <laughs> Thanks God, uh, I was sick during weekend. Shirog uh, went to Bumalanga for Lobola negotiation. Guess what? They were expecting 92,000. I said, wow, because they had to give me a feedback because I'm the uncle. Mm. So I couldn't take it. 92,000. Like, really? Yo! Hey! Mm-mm. Actually, 92,000 is not a high number that I have heard. I'm not saying 92,000 is not a lot of money, but I've heard much higher. Another voice note. Hi, 702. Uh, I paid Lobola for my wife and uh, we divorced. So my second plan was that I'm not going to pay Lobola again when I, to get married. So I went out of my black race and uh, got myself a colored woman. So I'm married, no Lobola for the second time, living happily after. No debts, no loan, no paying, nothing. Thank you. But what if you're the problem? It sounds like you're saying your marriage ended because you had to pay Lobola. Doctor, final thoughts on this masterclass because we've run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, no, but uh, I really empathize with those guys because that's the reality of the situation. You know, some people abuse Lobola, as we've indicated because of the changing conditions. But also sometimes Lobola is unfair to women in terms of gender equality and respect. But uh, my last word would be that we should be open-minded. You know, everything changes. So we have to choose and do and negotiate, you know, those aspects of the custom which uh, make us stronger, which brings us together, rather than those which actually, you know, tear us apart. And of course, you know, if someone is trying to make as much money as possible from their daughter, you know, you wonder how much they love their daughter. So uh, I think, you know, the custom, you know, should be continued uh, by those who want to, but mm. they have to modify it. But you should also give space to those who don't uh, want to delve in it anymore. Doctor, thank you so much. It's such a pity we ran out of time. We had I had so many questions around same-sex couples, returning, lobola, things like refunds, but maybe we'll have to visit that another day. Dr. Trevor Nguyen, Director of the Center for Sociological Research and Practice on this Masterclass on Lobola.